If you have a copy of God's Word that might be handy, we're going to be in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. This is the Word of the Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name is John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the reading of God's Word. Let's pray together. Father, would you teach us now by your Spirit? We pray, Lord Christ, that we would be those who would come underneath your authority, your honor, your greatness and power. And that you would continue to lead us into green pastures, lead us beside quiet waters, and that, Father, you would feed our souls, be our help and be our strength now. We pray your blessing here in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, as Bible-believing Christians, we believe that God's grace is free. It is free. His favor upon us, his blessing upon us, his smile upon us. We say it is free. That means it's not tied into something that he would see in our lives. That means grace being free is that it's not dependent upon something that he is seeing about us, whether it be our spiritual instincts, uh, whether it be about our backgrounds, our histories. Uh, Maybe we're given to spiritual learning of sorts. Uh, Maybe we have just a good disposition. Maybe sometimes we think that he's watching over our lives. We begin to imagine that he's thinking, well, she's going to be making good choices in her life, and so I'll put my grace upon her. Or the same thing for a man, uh, that he's going to keep trying to be a good person, so my grace will be imparted to him. No, we say that God's grace is free. It's not tied into something that he sees in the creature. His grace is all about himself and his good pleasure. And you have that right here in this chapter, even as we're talking in this series now about sonship, about being daughters and sons of the Most High God. Look at at verse 12 in this chapter. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 
did you catch all of those knots? Or my translation here, or it would be the nors. Born, not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but God. Now, all of these knots in the matter of becoming children of God is actually another sermon. That'll be later. (laughs) But for tonight, it's important to see we go to God when we start talking about that relationship with the Lord and walking with the Lord as sons and daughters. We go back to God in our learning. You see, to begin to know what it means to be a son, to begin to, uh, to, to know what it means to be a daughter of the king, to be a child of God, we begin with God. And so that's why we're asking these preliminary questions. What is he like? What is his plan? Where does his favor, his grace originate? What about his favor upon us? How do we know that it lasts and lasts and lasts and is enduring unto all eternity? We go back to God. We go back to the one to whom we are united. We covered some of that ground last week. We go back to the one to, the whom, to whom we are united. You know, one of our own granddaughters, if Peg was here sitting with us tonight, she'd be nodding her head. One of our own granddaughters is adopted. We have, a, we have a, a dear granddaughter legally now united to her family, united to our family. She bears the family name, Sumter. And in her being united to that family, she has privileges, responsibilities, favors, family gifts. Her own future is connected with her family. And she has a family inheritance. And it's the same for us. When we start talking about spiritual adoption and we start talking about the one to whom we are united, that is, we come to see something of God once again. What is it? That this one true God in that eternal bond of oneness is all about our God being one God, three persons, who is that eternal God, altogether glorious, but he's a family. I know that stretches it, but he is a family. The Godhead is a family, Father, Son, and Spirit. And that's why we turn to John's Gospel. A couple of lessons for us tonight here. We return to this one theme once again, but to press home a few more things. And it's this one important theme that we're to remember that you are united to the Lord of heaven and earth. And then secondly, remember that we should expect... Expect that your Lord is working in your life. Let's take up this first lesson. Returning back to the doctrine of our God, something of the Trinity, being reminded who Jesus is, so that we are united to this one who's the Lord of heaven and earth. Let's start there. John 1.1, once again, opens with these words. John is pulling from the book of Genesis. That's what he's doing. (laughs) He's gone back to the book of Genesis, and he's giving us the Jewish mindset. He has an eye on writing to the Jew. The Jew would know these opening words of Old Testament revelation. You see, with these words in the beginning, he's placing this mindset upon us now, and he's also calling the Jew to be thinking with him that this one that he's going to introduce, this one who's now going to be introduced and then unraveled for us and revealed for us in his gospel, is this one who is associated with matters way back 
way back in the beginning. He wants to take us back, giving focus to eternity. He is speaking about this matter of the eternal nature of this one who's going to be revealed in his gospel. The Jew knew the Old Testament. He knew Genesis 1. That's where the Jew was told. That's where we are told that in the, in the beginning God spoke. And as a result of speaking, things come into existence. So what is John saying? When you start thinking of the one called Jesus, when you think of the one named here, the Word, he's taking us back to give focus on eternity. Here is the one who has all authority. He's associated with the one with the very creative power of God who has all control, who's also very near to direct his will with that power. John is saying this one is the almighty. This one is the creator. This one is the maker, the sustainer of, of heaven and earth. Now, last week in our message, we emphasized these next few words that the word was with God, with God. And that got us thinking about the Son's relationship to the Father. The Word was with God. With God. That gets us thinking about the relationship between the Father and the Son. And we've said that's a major theme in the Gospel of John. Do you know that Jesus calls God Father in Matthew 23 times? In Mark, he refers to the Father four times. In Luke, it is six. In John, are you all sitting down? <laughs> 107. 107 times. What is John? He's presenting to us that Jesus is one who's in this ongoing, never-ending frequent and fruitful communion of a relationship with his father that is what john is presenting to us there is this living oneness that's it this living oneness in relationship the son with the father the father with the son and so we've got to ask once again tonight is it crystal clear in your mind that in being united to christ by faith in being united to Jesus by faith, do you know that you are united to the living God of heaven and earth? The one who is very God, very God. Is that clear in your mind? The blessed Trinity is being revealed to us. And to be united to Christ is to be united in that mysterious way of that access and favor and that belonging that the Son knows with his Father, that's all imparted to us by faith. Now, for the Jews, we, gotta have, to, we have to keep that Jewish mindset for just a little bit more here. After all, John has opened these words in the beginning. For the Jews, they were thoroughly committed to the oneness of God. They knew Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. You know that passage. The Jews were thoroughly committed to the oneness of God who alone exists. And so it was the most wicked of sins for the Jew to give obedience and worship to a false god, to an idol. There is one God. And so now we've got to stop. We get stopped in our tracks at this point. 
Is John now ascribing deity to this one named the Word? Absolutely. But for the Jew, he's about monotheism in the sense that there's just one God. If the Jew's reading this passage, he's going to run his eyes down to verse 14. What do we do with verse 14? The Word became flesh. The Word who is God is now in flesh. What do we do? God in the flesh? Absolutely. You see, the faithful Christian church down through her years, the faithful Christian church down through the ages has said, yes, Jesus Christ is fully God. And as well, the faithful church down through the years has said, yes, Jesus Christ is the very eternal God incarnate, living and fleshed. It's Jesus from Nazareth. He is God. And as you go on through the gospel, various titles are expanded upon to drive home his deity to us. He's called Lord. He's called Son of God. He's called the Christ of the living God. You can also think about his works. His works make clear who he is. I forgive sins, he says. He makes those declarations in his earthly ministry. I am working on the Sabbath, and my Father is working also. Later on, back in the back part of John, we come up to one of his disciples, Thomas. And Thomas is bowing before Jesus. He's seen the wounds in his hands, perhaps. And he bows down, and he confesses, my Lord and my God. What is Thomas doing? He's worshiping. It's blasphemy for a Jew. You see, in summary, the Bible is teaching even what our own Lord Jesus himself said. I and my Father are one. Another affirmation about his deity. Now, down through the ages, the church has said the Father and the Son are one, but they're not, watch this now, they are not identical. They are not identical. They are distinct. And the church has confessed through her ages yet indivisible, yet indivisible. And my goal here, I want to linger a little bit longer on this, my goal here is to keep working at clarity about the one to whom we are united by faith. And one way to aim at clarity is to describe what the faithful professing church does not teach okay the faithful professing church doesn't teach this so stay with me just for a little bit longer on this it's important i want us to step into church history just for a little bit talking about the trinity step into church history just for a little bit there was what came along in the 200s i mean here we are we're in 2018 right so we go back quite a ways but back in the 200s what arrived on the scene was a teaching called modal monarchianism. Modal monarchianism. That's a mouthful, Mark, right? <laughs> what is that? Well, let's break down the word. Um, let's take the second word first. Monarchianism. We know the word monarch. Talking about a king, talking about a queen. See, back then in those early days of the church, they were wrestling about the Lord, the dominion of one named Lord, God, his rule. And so it was called monarchianism, monarch, a king, one who rules. 
modal monarchy. Modal is talking about maybe method or expression or a manner. How does this rule get expressed? How does this lordship, in what way, in what manner is it in fact applied and taught? So what happened? Modal monarchianism starts out this way. There's a belief that God is in everything. He is the supreme deity. There is the core of who he is, of this godness of God. But it taught that there's something about his distinction of being so high and glorious, as we would say, so great in his being, that he has to lessen himself, impart some of himself into lower beings. Maybe you've heard about some of this. There'd be higher deities and then lower deities. He's in everything, but because he rules above all, man can approach him. The creation cannot approach him at all. So there's something that's imparted from him, and these different modes are extended from him downward and downward, and thus there's something like emanations, something like waves, something like modes. I thought this week, all right, Mark, you like to do this one in Alaska when you're a little boy. You pick up a rock and you throw a rock into a pond. It plunks there in the water, and then the waves start to ripple out. That's one image to have in our minds here. God is at the core. But there are waves that ripple out from him of lesser deities, of lesser things that have forms of deity, expressions of the deity in them. That's why it's pantheism. Everything is God, but it's a lessening of God as things move farther and farther away from the core. This was being taught in the early church, and it came to us this way by the teacher Sibelius. Back in the 200s, he taught there were different levels of deity, and Jesus shares in deity, but it's a part of deity. It's an influence of God. It's a lower level, a mode of God. And he used the physical illustration, used the illustration of the physical sun in the sky. There's the sun, the core, the ball, the heat, and then the rays being imparted and departing, moving further away from the ball of fire, the rays, the sunbeams, and the rays that would then uh, emanate from that core of fire. And Sibelius made a distinction here. He said, there is this sun, but then there are the rays. The rays have the same stuff as the sun. The rays and the beams have the same stuff that's in the sun, but they're not the sun. And so then he taught Jesus has the same stuff of God. He shares the same essence, but he is not God. And in uh, 267 A.D., that teaching was condemned. Let's bring it up to speed now. For five years, I managed a Christian bookstore. Some of you know that. I managed a Christian bookstore. And customers would repeatedly come in and they would request a certain author, William Barclay. Barclay has many popular commentaries and studies. I'd keep a copy on my back shelf, if this is my counter and my cash register was here, I'd keep a, count, uh, a copy of his autobiography on the back shelf. 
we would seek to be gracious. Uh, we would seek to be cordial. But we'd politely tell the customer, we do not sell William Barclay's materials. I'd pull the autobiography off the shelf and I'd say, I know there are, there are aspects of history and culture that you might find helpful from Barclay, but do you know what he teaches? These are his own words, and I've quoted them here for you. In his spiritual autobiography, here's how he put it, how he puts it, again, about Christ. So then for me, the supreme truth of Christianity is that in Jesus I see God. I almost had this memorized. I read it so many times. But i got to read it tonight. All right. So then for me, the supreme truth of Christianity is that, is that in Jesus I see God. When I see Jesus feeding the hungry, comforting the sorrowing, befriending men and women with whom no one else would have anything to do, I can say this is God. It is not that Jesus is God. Time and time again, the fourth gospel, that's our gospel tonight. Time and time again, the fourth gospel speaks of God sending Jesus into the world. Time and time again, we see Jesus praying to God. Time and time again, we see Jesus unhesitatingly and unquestioningly, be, uh, unquestioningly and unconditionally accepting the will of God for himself. Nowhere does the New Testament identify Jesus and God. And that's what Barclay teaches. It's Jesus has the emanation, a wave, a mode that he himself would have some of this deity. And that's why he says, in Jesus I see God. It is not that Jesus is God. Critical difference. But you see, the Bible does teach the identification of God the Son and God the Father. There is one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the same in substance and equal in power and glory, we, our confession says. And yet distinct, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Father, the Spirit is not the Son and not the Father. He is, our God is one God existing in three persons. So tonight, the beauty of the gospel is that when Christ is yours, and you take Christ by faith. You are united to the living God of heaven and earth. <laughs> he is that one who is very God, very God. One more lesson. Expect this Lord of heaven and your earth to be working in your life. Expect that. I've got a question here for us tonight as we think about this passage. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. How does that opening verse, think about this with me, how does that opening verse of John's Gospel give us a sense of the scale of what is involved in God's working of His salvation? A sense of the scale. How does this give us a sense of the scale of his working salvation for us in that he welcomes us as sons and daughters? I point out two things to help us answer that question. In this lesson about expecting him to be working in our lives, this very one to whom we are united, the Lord Jesus, he made the world. We go to him, we live in him by faith. Yes, we're always to be checking the owner's manual. We go to the owner's manual. Lord, you made the world and everything in it. 
The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all the inhabitants therein. We go to him for the owner's manual and we check those instructions for daily living. But this opening portion of John's gospel is emphasizing something else beyond the matter of the owner's manual and checking instructions for living. These opening verses here in John are emphasizing just how great and how high and how long and how wide and how deep the plan of salvation is for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's talking about a new creation. That's what he's talking about. This is a new creation. Friends in Christ, you have been placed into that cosmic, grand, total picture of God's eternal purposes. You know, when our catechism opens up on what is the chief in demand, the chief in demand is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's a lesson that John is picking up here. John is telling us implicitly that if you know this one, who's the living God of heaven and earth through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been placed into the cosmic, grand, total picture of His eternal purposes. The words in the beginning are a throwback to creation. This is the new creation. Jesus, who's Lord of heaven and earth, he has visited us. And he is about, in his faithfulness, keeping his eye on you. And he is about, in his faithfulness, encouraging you to keep an eye on his big picture. My pastor out in Escondido, California, when we were just kids, in our 20s, kind of kids, he would encourage us weekly to go back to purpose statements in the scripture. Whether we eat or drink, we drink to the glory of God, right? You know that verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Proverbs chapter 3, trust trust in the Lord, lean not upon your understanding, acknowledge him in all your ways. Purpose passages, Lord, why am I here? In, In many respects, when God, when John is introducing to us the Lord Jesus Christ, in the beginning was the word, This is a word of breaking through of a new creation, and you are a part of that new creation. Don't ever think to yourself that I'm only a small little cog in this grand machinery. Don't ever think to yourself that my life, in fact, is not of use and purpose to the grand and glorious God who is triune, Father, Son. That's not what's going on here. It's just the opposite. We are privileged to be brought into relationship That everything we do in life, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Your life is being used of the Lord. You are brought into the cosmic grand total picture of his eternal purposes. And then one more. We're told in verses 4 and 5 that in him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. In him was life. Friends, being united to the eternal Son of God, who's Lord of heaven and earth, being a son or a daughter, mean all of his resources, life and light, are yours. His life, his light, overcomes darkness. Don't think to yourself, this sin has me just beat down. Don't think to yourself, I'm going to have to live with this sin. I'm just going to have to live with it until I go to glory. As a son or a daughter of the Most High God, in him was life. His life is yours. 
in him is light. And his light overcomes the darkness. I close with a word about fruit bearing. It's my prayer, hope it's your prayer. Lord, give us fruit. Lord, use our lives. Jesus had these words to say, I am the true vine, my father is the vine dresser. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. He is our life. He is the light. He finished up by saying, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. This is being united to the one who is Lord of heaven and earth. And he is at work in our lives. Let's praise him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that prayers will be prayed today, tonight, tomorrow, this week ahead. And lives will be turned completely over to you in these days ahead, Lord, in that you would be about your transformation in our hearts, in our lives. May we know that you are about the work of the new creation. You've told us, O oh Lord, if any man be in Christ, he is a new cre creation. All, the old things have passed away. All things have become new. <coughs> May we live in Christ, seeing you work, and seeing you bring that fruit, Lord, for faith and daily living. Father, would you encourage us as a church plant to see the fruit of our labor, that you are Lord of heaven and earth and you are Lord of this church. We look to you for all things and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.